The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Where is your life stuck? I don't just mean stuck like you're driving down the road like I was recently, ran out of gas and was stuck on the side of the road. I don't mean just like you're not moving. I mean, this is the way you are. And no matter how hard you've tried, you can't change it. It's almost like you would acknowledge that it's baked into you. Now, I've never been accused of being much of an artist. I certainly haven't been accused of being a potter. But I have done some research and I've seen some videos, like the video we just showed. And I did a little bit of reading to learn a little bit more about pottery and how turning clay into pottery. And what, one of the things that you, you read over and over again is that if you want to continue to shape the clay, then you got to keep it wet. And so if, if you need to um, shape it the next time you work on it, you got to wrap it up multiple times in like bags of plastic so that it stays moist. So that when you get back to it, it's still pliable. In the meantime, uh, when you're done with it, you leave it out to dry, maybe on a rack, maybe in the sun, sun-dried, sun-baked pottery, sun-baked bricks. Um, and, and here's the thing, though. If you don't wrap it up properly, it will dry. And if it dries, it becomes, uh, that's the way it is. And now there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm wondering in my life, I've looked at my life and I've thought, what are the things that are just baked in? I believed they were baked in, meaning there was a time when I was pliable, but over time, things start getting baked into me. Maybe you've looked at your kids and you've thought, man, that's just the way they were born. This is like the whole argument of of nature versus nurture and what things are just part of our nature. It's just in our DNA. It's in our genetics. It's the way we are. Maybe you've made excuses about your anger or your eating your attitude or the, the way you look because of your heritage, your ancestry, your ethnicity. Maybe it was the way you were raised and the examples you've seen. So it's, it's nurture, but there's not much you could do about it because before you can make conscious choices, that was the way you were parented. That was the way you were fathered or mothered. That was the way you were taught or the lack thereof. And so it got built in and baked into you, but it was flawed. People said to you, you'll never, you're not enough, you won't, you can't. Maybe anger has been baked into you. Maybe using eating or an addiction or entertainment as a way to overcome and numb the pain or the frustrations is just baked into who you are. I mean, I gotta admit, some of the things that I do on a regular basis, I don't do well. I've I've been lifting now on a regular basis, but throughout, the, throughout many years, I mean, when I was younger and in high school, I, I would go to the gym and I'd work out a good bit. And, and you know, at some point pretty early on, you realize I'm never gonna be that guy. Like I, I, I'm pretty honest that I, I'm never gonna be a bodybuilder. And, and then over, when I was young, I got into endurance running and I've continued to keep that up for many, many years. And, and some of you know, I run every day, if not almost every day. And, uh, but here's the thing when I started getting into marathon running, I realized pretty quickly, I'm never gonna be elite. Like, I'm not gonna win one of these things. I mean, if you've ever watched a marathon, if you've ever seen any of the marathon winners, think about what they look like and then look at me. Here's the deal. I'm not winning any marathons. I don't look like a marathon winner. I don't run like a marathon winner. I just don't have it. 
And as a result, you and I accept the fact that there are things baked into us. And as a result, we're stuck that way. I mean, we, here's the deal. When you're done with clay and you're ready for it to be finished, you not only leave it out on a rack to dry, but then you put it in the kiln to fully dry it and then glaze it. And that thing's a thousand degrees. When you get done with the fire, that's the way it is. And sometimes the things that get baked in are not the way we want them to be. In fact, I would say a lot of the things about us are not the way we want them to be. So when you think about what's baked into you, I now want to jump over to a story in the Bible written by an author who had some things baked into him that should not have been that way. Here is a guy who was a religious terrorist. His name was Saul. Saul hated Christians to the point where he was arresting them, threatening them, and even having them put to death. On his way to another arrest or even slaughter massacre, he has a vision, not just of heaven, but of Jesus himself. The Jesus hater has an encounter with Jesus and he becomes a Jesus lover. He becomes a follower of Jesus and his life is transformed and turned upside down. So he, he's so radically changed that this Saul who hates Christians and becomes a Christian changes his name to Paul, leverages his business to go around starting up churches all across Asia and Europe. And I don't mean building physical churches. I mean building people to become the church. As he's starting churches, he realizes he needs a new headquarters. And so he, he, uh, he reaches out to the churches that gather in Rome. And his goal is to prepare them for his move of his headquarters to Rome, which is the center of the civilized known world of the time. And he said, hey, I may as well be in the biggest city. May as well be at the center. May as well be in the capital where I can train up more people and send them out to start more churches. And so as he's thinking about and preparing to uh, move to Rome, and he writes this letter to the church in Rome. In your Bible, it's called Romans, he's writing a letter to prepare them. And the whole idea of this letter is that it's not enough to believe. And he definitely outlines very articulately and powerfully what Christians believe. And if you want to know what we believe, just read the letter to the Romans and you'll go, wow, this is what we believe. But it's not, he's consistently saying this is, it's not enough just to believe, you have to become. And when you become, it changes how you behave. Some of you, before you ever behaved, you had already become, it shaped you. And then you behaved based on what you became. And the Apostle Paul is saying your beliefs need to shape the clay of your life so that you become, and when you become, it fills you and you behave differently. In order to get to that point, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this pretty extensive letter, um, he gets to the point, and we're going to open to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 20. And I want to read a little bit about where he's at. Now, in this moment, he's talking about the fact that what you and I started with, the raw material of our lives, what was baked into us was no good. So let's talk about that. He goes like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in us, was brought in so that trespass might increase. Now, he uses an interesting word here. He uses the word trespass. And if you think of trespass, you think of the signs, no trespassing. And that's exactly what he means. He goes, here's the point. The law of God was brought in. It was brought to all of us that we would recognize how bad we are. You, you ever notice something about yourself 
The more someone tells you not to do something, the more you want to do it. You ever notice this about your kids? If you didn't have a rule in the house, kids may or may not do that. Pick a, pick a word that you don't want your kids using. We have one right now. Two of my boys, they constantly keep using a word, the S word, not what you think. It starts with S-T, and they can't help but say it to each other all the time. And then one of them will say it to anybody and everybody. We had a friend over the house, and they call that person that name. I was horrified. I had to discipline them. I had to correct them. But it, I finally, I, I, I went to Lord. I said, you know what, Lord, I think here's the problem. We keep telling them not to use that word. And I think it just, somehow it gets so stuck in their head, like they're glitching, that that's all they can think about. And then they just say it more. So I said, you know what we need to do? We just need to ignore it completely. Now, we might be terrible parents. I don't know. So far, I think it's working. It's getting better. Because we just decided, you know, we're just going to ignore it. The Apostle Paul says this. He goes, here's the deal. <laughs> The more you, you get around the law of God, what it does is it doesn't perfect you. Acknowledging the law doesn't make you a better a law abider. It just makes you more aware of how much you're breaking the law. And so this is a trap. Be careful because the church, Christians, religion, teachers, parents, all of us have this instinct that if we just taught them the rules taught them the law, told them what's right and wrong, told them the Bible better, that it would make people better, and it won't. Telling people that they are bad, flawed, because here's what happens in life, right? It's not just that things are baked in, it's that we're broken. There's things that happen to us, and there's things baked into us that make us cracked and broke. And no matter how many times you tell the broken pieces to become something good, they won't because they just are still broken. So the Apostle Paul is making this point. He goes, Here, there's this thing inside of all of us that has baked in badness, broken us, and left us in broken pieces beyond our capacity to repair ourselves, okay? And so what does he get? He goes, so this trespass increases. He goes, meaning the idea of trespass is that we aim for the wrong thing and we willingly cross the line. Maybe for you, that's addictions. Maybe that's um, giving into sexual desires and doing things inappropriately that cross boundaries that you should have never crossed, right? It's, it's wanting to do something wrong and actually doing it. Now, there's another word, regarding sin. Sin is any spiritual law-breaking that, right, that goes against the laws of God. Sin is turning our back on God and doing what we want, pursuing our own desires. So there's two types of sin. In fact, there's more ways, but let's just stick with the main, the main two. One is trespass. It's aiming for the wrong thing and hitting it. It's going up to a line and crossing it. The other is seeing the right thing and not doing it. It's falling short of the right things. Both are archery terms. One is aiming for the wrong target and hitting it. The other is aiming for the right target and missing. The Apostle Paul says, when we, the more we know of the law, the more we just realize that we're broken, that we're bad, that sin has grown up in our life and corrupted us. And here's the thing with sin. Sin doesn't just crack you and break you. It, it fills every part of us spills out of us, it breaks us into pieces and leaves us utterly ruined, headed toward a forever far from God. Wow, that's a mouthful, and that is no good. Good news for you, though. Let me keep reading. But where sin increased, grace increased 
all the more. Now, if you've ever heard me talk about grace, grace is this idea of the generosity of God, the riches of God available through his generosity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing, rich generosity of God. What is he saying? He goes like this. Do you know that where sin, where you become more aware of what's broken inside of you, the more you become aware of what's bad inside of you, the more you become aware of what's cracked and not working inside of you, the more God's grace grows inside of you. The more you become aware of how bad you are, the more you become aware of how good God is in you, how much goodness of God is available to you. And so then he gives this answer, or, or first he offers a question and then he gives an answer. He goes, this is Romans chapter six, verse one and two. So like the very next thought, he goes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because by no means, another translation says, God forbid. I mean, please don't do that. Why would he even say that? Because he knows that if you think deeply about it and you become aware of it, you become aware that God will forgive you of the things you do wrong if you love him. That's right. Does that mean that you can do wrong knowing God will forgive you? Yep, absolutely. And then you start thinking, well, that means I have permission to do wrong things. Yes, that's right. He goes, so should we go on sinning so that we can experience more of the grace of God? He goes, God forbid, why? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it. Ah, he goes like this. We often think that the grace of God, the goodness of God, the generosity of God is proportional to our bad. God's good is the yin to our bad yang. That, that somehow God counterbalances our badness with his goodness. That um, our, our, the forgiveness we receive is proportional to the sins that we've committed. But what we're unaware of is that it is not proportional. Grace is not proportional to sin. It is exponentially greater than our sins. Meaning God lavishes his goodness into places where badness abounded. And so what he's saying is, it's not just that grace is available, so we should go on doing what we want because we know we've been forgiven. No, you haven't just been forgiven, you've been changed, that's right. The real key here is that you and I are challenged and invited to live a new God-shaped life. That's right, what we once were, what was baked into us is no longer who we are when we believe in Jesus by faith. He says something changes radically inside of us. In fact, let me just read it to you. He goes, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I want all of you, those of you joining us online, those of you in our Hagerstown campus, those of you in our Frederick campus, I want you to say this with me. Say, new life. All right, very good. I have a feeling that some of you, I know our Frederick campus, you gave it to me. Hagerstown, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. Online, come on, I know you're behind your computer screen, but I want you to say this for me. Say, new life. Okay, here's the deal. 
What God is doing in you is he's shaping new life into you. So how do we get there? Here's the deal. Whatever was baked into us has broken us, leaving us not just shattered, but all of the sin that destroyed us has spilled and is spilling on others. It corrupts us and, and sends us toward an eternal destruction far from God. But God... And that's the beauty of what he's saying here. He goes, because Jesus died on the cross, we now are buried with him in baptism. So we embrace Jesus' death so that we die to ourselves and become fully alive, new life in Jesus. So here is my invitation to you. You are invited to new life, a new God-shaped life. I don't care what fashioned you before, regardless of the pain, regardless of the heritage, the ethnicity, the, the background that shaped you and made you what you were, you are not what you were. You are not just your failures. You are not your past. You are not your regrets. You are not your guilt. You are not your shame. You've been made new through faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you right now, this is your moment. Can I encourage you right now? God wants to give you an invitation through faith in Jesus Christ that he died for you on the cross. What did Jesus do? He died on a cross to take on our eternal death sentence. He absorbed the judgment for our sins. What had wrecked us and devastated us, Jesus took on himself and died in our place, embracing our destruction so that now when we believe in Jesus by faith, we also believe in his resurrection, that when he came back to life, that life now lives inside of us. We were buried in death. It's a picture of what we call baptism. That's what the apostle Paul says. When we celebrate water baptism, what we're, what we're celebrating is this idea. That when somebody goes in the water, the water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And when you get laid down into the water, it's a symbol of you dying to yourself, sin being washed away. And when you come up out of the water, you are being resurrected with Jesus into new life, a new God-shaped life. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are dying to yourself and you're being raised to new life. And maybe you're ready to make that decision right now. Can I encourage you? Would you take a moment and pause? Would you say yes to Jesus by faith? Yes to a new life. You're saying goodbye to the old life. You're receiving the gift of God's love, the gift of forgiveness, and the promise of a new and forever life in relationship with Jesus. And if that's where you're at today, can I encourage you to say yes to Jesus? And if you're saying yes to Jesus, would you let us know? A QR code is going to come up on the screen right now. I encourage you to scan that. Fill out the form. And when you do, your campus pastor is going to follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Can I, can I challenge you? Would, you? would you make that decision right now? I don't want any of you to walk out of here or leave this message without having made a commitment to being made new through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, those of you, hopefully you scan that QR code. I wanna give you one more challenge. If you have made a decision for Jesus, but you have not yet been baptized, can I also encourage you to make a decision to be baptized? So you've said yes to Jesus, but you've not went through the, the, um, the celebration of letting everyone know it. And so baptism in water through LifeHouse, meaning wherever you're part of, you can get baptized, but within LifeHouse, we encourage you to get baptized. If you're part of our online camp, campus and you have made a decision for Jesus, we want you, to get baptized, and we will give you instructions on how to get baptized. If you're at our campuses, get baptized. So uh, we're gonna put a QR code up on the screen that you can scan, and, and you can fill out the form to sign up to get baptized. Hey, we wanna celebrate with you that you've made a decision to say yes to Jesus Christ, where you are being made new through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I wanna lean into this and talk about what happens in the process of us being made new because this affects not just a new believer, but every one of us. Let me go back and I'm gonna to read to you a few more verses. Chapter six, verse five through seven. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What he's saying is this. He goes, when you believe in Jesus by faith, it's not just that you've been, that you were broken. It's that God actually breaks us even more. It's that there is a, a crucified life. It's as if you take the broken pieces and God takes it and then he, it's, it's, there's a crushing, there's a putting to death. There's a, there's a complete crushing. Why? Because what God wants is for us to join Jesus in the crucified life. Your new life is shaped like the cross. Listen to me carefully. There's a piece of clay, and I'm a little nervous because this thing is nasty and sticky, but what God wants to do, and this is a cool illustration, you could look it up yourself. If a, if a pot that a potter is making is broken or marred or doesn't turn out the way they want it, you know what they do? They smash it. They grind it up into tiny pieces. They knead it into a fresh clump of clay. And that clay becomes even stronger. God wants to take what we were, crucify it, so that we die to our old desires. Our old desires are crushed and broken out of us and then need that into a new life shaped by God. And you know what that shape is? The cross. You might think to yourself, what? So I'm gonna give you a, a, a term. It's a, it's a term cruciform. You, if you wear a cross as a piece of jewelry, you call it a crucifix. It's, it's a symbol in the shape of the cross. A cruciform would be something shaped in the form of a cross. If you built a church building in the shape of a cross, which they've done in ancient times, cathedrals were built in the shape of a cross, it was called a cruciform. Do you know that your life should be a cruciform? So what we experience, the word you would use is a cruciformity. The process of us being shaped into the form of the cross. What do I mean by that? Well, follow along with me. If what I was before, when I was marred and bad,
God was baked into me, what, I was, what was in me, what was, what was inside that cup was sin. And even when I was broken and shattered beyond repair, there was still in me, baked into me, the badness of sin. And what God does is he, he invites us to embrace the crucifixion life. I mean, die, what is crucifixion, right? Jesus willingly dying to himself, dying of his agenda. Jesus embracing a life of surrender to the will of God. And a crucified life is dying to our sin desires. When we're fully broken, sin drains out. When we die to ourselves, when we are crucified, when we are shaped into the form of the cross, our old desires are broken out of us. Our ego crushed, pride um, turned to powder. And God begins to take those pieces and knead them into a new person. You are fashioned and shaped to the form of a cross, but there's more to it than that. I want you to hear this because your, your role should be to join in like a want to. I want to be in the shape of the cross. I want to live a crucified life. Why? Because on the cross, the nature of God was most revealed. The character of God was exposed in a way that no one had ever known before. On the cross, we discover a God who is willing to give his own life for your life. On the cross, we discover the full measure of God's love for us. On the cross, we discover the sacrificial selflessness of God. On the cross, we see the extent to which Jesus is willing to become nothing to make you into something. On the cross, we discover the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the wrath of God, the strength of God, the character of God, fully concentrated into one place, the cross. So if you most want to become like Jesus, when you are being shaped and molded into the nature of God, when you and I are in the process of being made new, we are being formed and fashioned into the character of God, the nature of Jesus, and it's gonna look a lot like the cross. What God wants to shape into you is sacrificial selflessness. The cross it, what he wants to shape into you is a serving heart. The cross is a, an emptying of who you were so you could become who God wants you to be, the cross. What he wants to work into you is courage and compassion, the cross, grace and mercy, the cross. So the more you embrace the cross, the crucified life, become a cruciform, growing in cruciformity, you become more like Jesus. Now don't stop there because I want to leave you with some tremendous encouragement. There's, there's another verse I want to read and I want to do this a little differently. Please don't just let me read this. Now I've got clay, this new life all over me, the new life of God all over my hands. But let, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you at each of our campuses and online, don't just let me read this passage. I want you to read this with me out loud. I've invited you to pray with me. I want you to read with me. Here we go. Now, if we died with Christ, hold up. I want, you to pr I want you to read this out loud. 
loud so that everybody in the room can hear you. And if you're online, loud enough so that someone in another room can hear you. Let's go through this again. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. I think I'm going to read one more portion to you. Let me keep going. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want you to look at that passage that's up on the screen. I want you to scan it one more time. What does God want to speak to you as you read that passage? The death Jesus died, he died once for all. The life he lives, he lives in God. The same way we count ourselves dead to sin so that the life we live, we live in Christ Jesus. What does God wanna speak to you? Do you know that when you read the Bible, the Bible should read you? And that the goal is not just to read through the Bible, but to let the Bible read through us. That's why I took time to slow down and not just read it with you, but have you read it and say, God, speak to me. Here's what you can't miss when you read that, that a new life, this new life that you're experiencing, your new life is shaped by Jesus' resurrection. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over eternal judgment, victorious over what was marred and shaming and guilt-ridden in us, victorious over what was bad in us and broken in us, victorious over what was spilling out of us, sin itself, to shape us, and make us what we can never be on our own. And so the only way you can live the life, the crucified life of Jesus, the only way you can become more like Jesus by being shaped into cruciformity is through the power and the beauty and the wonder and the strength and the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. In essence, when the resurrection life of God is in you, then you have a new life that shapes you to become more like Jesus embracing the cross, but you can't do it on your own. It's, here's what I want to make sure it's not. It is not religion. You trying to piece the pieces back together to look like the cross because you'll never do it. That's just religion. This is God taking broken pieces, the marred and the shamed and the guilt-ridden, allowing us to be crucified, needed, shaped, and then filled. And when we are emptied of sin, we're filled with the Spirit, 
God begins to pour himself into us, to pour himself through us. You are empowered by the resurrection. The, the, the new life of Jesus becomes your new life. It's the, it's the grace that was purchased through the, the cross that is accessed through the empty tomb. And I want you to begin to walk in a confidence that I am new. I've been made new. And the power of the resurrection is allowing me to live new. Now, if that's where you're at, can I encourage you? Would, you? would you embrace this new life? And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you're, what you've been trying to do in church and in your faith is try to stick those pieces, not just back together, but try to shape them the way God wants them to be. And you can't do it. What you need is the power of the resurrection through the work of the Spirit to mold you and shape you into the cross. How can you become more like Jesus? by embracing God's character revealed on the cross. Would you make that your prayer, your commitment? Now, I wanna encourage you. A cup, now this is a pot, but it looks a little bit like a cup. The night Jesus was betrayed, it says he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Earlier in the meal, it says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. This is my body broken for you. The broken pieces of Jesus' crucified body becomes our bread. His blood, our life. Our invitation and our challenge is that Every time we take the communion meal, the last supper, the Eucharist, we are remembering what Jesus did on the cross until he comes again. And so I wanna invite you, would you prepare yourself for communion? I mean, this isn't some just casual thing. There's something mystical that happens. There's something mysterious that happens when we take communion together. And so would you take a moment and prepare your heart? We want you to contemplate the value of joining and eating bread that represents Jesus' broken body and drinking a cup that represents his spilled blood poured into you. How can you embrace the crucified life? How can you be shaped into the form of the cross? How can the resurrection life of Jesus empower you to live a crucified life? I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about that. Now, as you're thinking about it, our campus pastors are gonna come and they're gonna give you some instruction on what to do next. Thank you for listening to audio from LifeHouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.